3: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: On this week's episode of White Wine Question Time... We go into
5: this marquee, and there's Naomi Campbell, walks in, goddess, and she walks towards me, and she says to me, how can I stay in touch with you? And I went... What? I mean, we were like, "Oh my God, she's there! She's there!" Martin Lewis held out my phone for me because I couldn't reach. and then Darcy what Russell's in half. the... half Darcy Russell's turning around, going, "Oh look, she's there!" I mean, it was just—it was totally surreal. It was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I'm fallible. You know, we can all make mistakes. I mean, I remember going to Lena's funeral, and it was a—it was a circus, and it seemed so sad and and surreal it just didn't seem real you know i'm in the middle of the blooming service they're doing communion and someone comes up and says oh would you sign this for me i went no no i won't this is somebody's view or this is my friend
4: hello and welcome to white wine question time the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine and my guest this week is a woman who's recently celebrated 50 years as a star of the stage and screen a child star from the age of six when she won the TV talent show Opportunity Knock, she went on to star in Just William, Bugsy Malone, played Scarlett O'Hara's daughter in Gone with the Wind, as well as starring alongside Angela Lansbury for a year in Gypsy on Broadway. And that was all before she'd started secondary school. Born and raised in Twickenham, her mother Babette ran a dance school where she and her two sisters trained before she went on to study at Arts Ed and then the Italia Conti Stage School. By the time she left, she was already a huge star and at 16 opened in the original cast for Cats before swapping the West End for TV as two doctor's assistants in the BBC's Doctor Who. In 2015, she joined another BBC institution, this time playing Carmel in EastEnders for three and a half years, and last year put many a jaw on the floor, mine included, after weeks of leaping around with the agility of a teenager, only to be unmasked as the squirrel on The Masked Dancer. Away from work, she lives in London, where she's about to open in Stephen Sottenheim's Old Friends in the West End and is the mother to Bibi, who's now 22. So let's dial her up, shall we? It's Bonnie Langford. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Kate. How are you? I'm good. That was the hardest intro to ever edit ever because your CV is, is almost a book. <laughs> it's a tone. It goes on a bit, doesn't it? I know. I keep thinking. I keep saying, I'm going to
5: write a book. I'm going to write a book, and then I start, and I got, I started, um, dump, brain dumping as well, because I, I've always got to about the age of seven and thought, oh, I've done too much now. So I thought, right, I'm going to take different <laughs> sections, and I thought, right, I'll think about cats. So I just thought, I'll brain dump some ca- stuff that I remember about cats, and then uh, I've written eight and a half thousand words, and I haven't even got to the first <laughs> night yet. And so and then I just get bored with myself and I think I don't want to talk about my life anymore. It's just boring. Um, So, yeah. You need two things. You need an editor and a trilogy. I do. (laughs) I need a very patient editor. I actually need someone to just I I need someone to say, ask me questions, because also then I go off at tangents and then I need someone to go. Sorry, I don't understand you. Where have you gone now? Come back, come back to the story. So, yeah, no, I, I just, I'm very lucky. I've been, I started very young and I'm doing what I wanted to do. And I'm I always used to say, it. starting young, uh, I, people used to go, oh, yeah, that you're being made to do it by your family and all that. And I said, you try making a kid do something they don't want to do.
4: Yeah, and try to get them to put their
5: shoes on. Exactly. You know. you know, just basic stuff. And you go, you cannot, you know, there might be some that, that will do things for a while. But to keep doing it this long uh, through the ups and downs of life, as we all know, can be quite um, challenging. Even the stupidest things can be challenging or uplifting uh, and still actually enjoy what I'm doing. I just feel really blessed. I just feel really blessed. I got a head start.
4: Now, we last saw each other in um, well, what was for me a bit of a dreamy scenario. We were backstage. In a very cramped dressing room in the West End, where we were both performing uh, for a tribute to Judy Garland on what would have been her 100th birthday. And our dressing room was literally knee deep in legends. In our dressing room, there was yourself, Wayne Sleep, Angela Rippon, Esther Ranson, Celia Imre, and Stephanie Beecham. And then that was replicated sort of five or six times in over in different dressing rooms with different amazing legendary names of, of, of the star, as uh, the stage and screen. Um, do you ever get used to that, Bond? Because you seemed quite at home in that environment. I just thought pinch me. It was a com- it was a
5: completely mad day and a mad show, wasn't it? I mean, it was absolutely yeah. nuts. And the fact that they sort of like opened these dressing rooms and just said, Oh, just go in. And the world and his mother yeah. was in these rooms. I mean, it was just it was like some kind of bonkers party, wasn't it? Just and, and you think, actually we have got to do a show here. It was it was just the most bizarre situation ever. And um, yeah, Wayne dancing and Arlene Phillips kind of saying, "Oh, do oh you Arlene was step there Wayne. as well." Arlene was there as well. Who else was there? Um, Rosie Jones was there. Gabby Roslin was there. Um, I mean, it was just it was it was bonkers, wasn't it? It really yeah, was Tam, I, bonkers. I was there with
4: Tamsin Althwaite. Yes. Also, Sadie Frost was there. Francis Raphael. Yes. Uh, Sylvia Young's daughter. I mean, just it just yeah. I mean, well, I, what a do night. You, those things are completely uh, nerve
5: wracking and terrifying, and then on the other hand, amazing because you get to catch up with friends that you don't actually see because sometimes you might be doing this, you might be up for the same job or something, so you don't. One of you gets the job, you, you so you don't see the other person, yeah. or you just you, don't, you know you don't go to. I don't really go to parties anymore, and if you do, everyone's like, "Oh, hello, darling, how are you doing? What are you do?" This was like, "Oh my god." What are you doing? How are you doing? What are you going to wear? How are you going to be like? That? You see people in their authenticity. I think actually, because we're all as as nerve wracked as each other, and then decide to just either get more nervous or laugh a lot, and then and you also see lovely. how people prepare. Yes,
0: because there were those that prepared. were really prepared,
4: and then there was people at you know people at Celia who just
0: oh, just darling. kind of cruised
4: to the backstage area and just was yes. Celia Emery. She Yes, and amazing. just sat
5: there. Sophie Ellis Bexter was there as well, wasn't she? I see Sophie. She lives down the road from me. <laughs> we see each other in, the, in um, you know, Tiger, that shop. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like, all that. You, know, you just bump into people. But uh, she was at that gala as well. And it's um, right. it all quite chaotic. But you actually, what, what people have to do on those things, don't they? They actually have to just sort of turn around and go, well, do you know what? I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to have a laugh because it's lovely to see old friends again. Um, so some people
4: were doing, th- you know, something something quite um, convoluted, like ha- having to re- remember a reading, um oh, example, so they would go off and rehearse. But for the likes of me, I was just kind of hosting. So, you know, I-, I was able to kind of drink in what was going on, uh, probably with a little bit more um, of a relaxed ease than-, than maybe your good self who was doing a number. What was <laughs> nice was watching you all sat there with your phones out showing each other pictures of children, grandchildren, and you could see the, the decades of friendship that had built in and out of all of those dre- changing rooms, dressing rooms yeah. rather, sorry.
5: Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, when it, there is a sort of, people go, oh, it's so lovely, you're all so lovely. No, I think actually people are just friends. And it, we, if we don't have our real life, then we don't have the crazy life as well. And, yeah. and that sort of situation is a combination of those two. As you say, we're there doing something crazy, you're all going to do a show. We all know how that feels to be quite vulnerable and exposed, doing something that you perhaps haven't rehearsed much, or that you're just trying to get on there and do for a good cause. And at the same time, you all bond because you're all understanding how you're feeling. And then you have a catch-up about, oh, you know, how so and so, what's this, what about, you know, I was probably showing pictures of my dog, as I do all the time, and my daughter, and going, you know, it, it's actually apart from anything else, it, it's quite, it helps you to deal with the situation, isn't it? Because when you're there. Uh, with like-minded people, it's very bonding.
4: It is really bonding, and you know, and you're amongst old friends, which uh, brings us really nicely to your next big West End project. Because oh, really? uh, in September you're opening Stephen sodenheim's Old Friends with a pretty spectacular cast. I have to say,
5: it is a very stellar cast so far, and they haven't. And there are more people to come because there's going oh. to be about fifteen in the cast. Wow! Uh, so it's going to be a big show. So. What it is, is that last year, um, Cameron Macintosh, so Cameron McIntosh, uh, put on a celebration of Stephen Sondheim's music. And he had been wanting to do this. I mean, there have been other celebrations. There's been Side by Side by Sondheim, which was a hugely successful show in the 70s with uh, Julia McKenzie, Millicent Martin, David mm-hmm. Kernan and Ned Sherin and two grand pianos. And they just basically it was It it was the first time that Sondheim had really been introduced to a sort of wider public. I mean, he was very prolific even then, but this was a review show and it was very small and very intimate and very successful. We have a, a, a 15 piece orchestra and about 16 in the cast. And I think it's all still coming together. They're still putting it together, which is one of Sondheim's songs. And I think it's just really, I think it's a wonderful way to uh, hear a whole range of Sondheim music um, from all his different musicals. So, you know, we've got um, A Little Night Music, Company, Into the Woods, uh, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Gypsy, um, uh, Pacific Overtures. I mean, literally, and all, it is staged. It's like
4: now-that's-what-I-call-musical theatre, isn't it?
5: Yeah. But it's not just people standing there with a the mic and singing. It's a bit more than that. And, and everyone has a connection with Sondheim of some sort. And so it's a very personal thing. And they called it old friends. And I think it's brilliant that it's that because it is. It's friends coming together, like you were saying about us doing that gala thing. It—it—it it, it is very personal. So it's a very unusual show because it's not as if you're playing a role. You know, yes, you might adopt a role to sing a particular song, but ultimately, it's much more personable and intimate. Uh, but we've got this wonderful orchestra as well, so I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be beautiful. Oh,
4: I can't wait. Well, best of luck with it. Thank and you. Tickets are on sale now. Yeah. Now, um, so while you, you've got time to breathe, I wanted to grab you for this podcast because there is so many things that I could ask you, and I'm afraid I've had to hone it down to just three okay. uh, questions for you. And I'm are you ready for your first one, Bob?
5: Go for it. Go for it, Kate. Go for it.
4: years in the business, 50 years, has seen you do, I mean, some extraordinary things. Um, and sometimes in the most extraordinary of circumstances, be it performing as a high-kicking squirrel on The Masked Dancer last year. I mean, uh, just, uh, <laughs> dancing to, I found a brilliant clip of you dancing to the open, opening number on Rod and Emu's Wimble show. <laughs> that was quite mental. There's somebody at the door. <laughs> That's what I they mean, used to say. Honestly, take. your dance moves, you were like, it was like hot gossip had arrived in the building. And then, of course, most recently, uh, we saw you um, placed, quite rightly, on the National Treasures bus for the Queen's Jubilee. And I was reading up on it, and there's a brilliant interview with you, Bun, where you said, you described the day, and this is your kind of first-person account of what it was to be a National treasure on that bus. You say, I was on the same bus as Cliff Richard. He sang All the Way, bless him, even though his mic wasn't working (laughs) all the time. (laughs) It was like a bizarre <laughs> school trip, it was. sharing an open-top boss with Wayne Sleep, Paul Gambaccini, and Chris Eubank, who stood at the front of the for the entire trip, not talking to a soul, just looking out like he was on a ship. Yes,
5: he looked like he looked like he was the the prow of the ship, just standing there with his stick, just poised. He didn't speak to anybody. It was hilarious. It was there was and there was Cliff was singing all the way because. They had these. I mean, why I was on the 1950s bus? I don't know. I'm not that. I wasn't born born in the 50s. I (laughs) wasn't born. But it was it was hilarious. And do you know what? It was such a beautiful day because it was so full of joy. Because I think we all knew that there wasn't going to be an awfully long time uh, before we lost the Queen. So it felt even more special. Um, And the fact that you know when we drove down. That um, the Mall, just towards well, we drove round the corner from from Whitehall, and we drove round the corner at Trafalgar Square, and the mass of people, and the joy of just people laughing and shouting and dancing, and it was really moving. It was really moving. And then I turned around, and there's Cliff singing "Living Doll" for the ninety fifth time. I mean, it was—he's so amazing. And I just he say the mic was working, And then suddenly Leslie Garrett and Catherine Jenkins start singing You'll Never Walk Alone and you go, I'm in some kind of bizarre dream here. But it was actually the, the joy and the laughter and the fun was 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 really lovely. You know, and you had to go. I mean, if we're gonna go on that, you had to go. Right, whatever happens, I'm going to have a great time here.
4: Um, and you, totally. spend your, you yeah. said you were then her- herded onto a stage alongside David Jason, Del Boy, mm-hmm. yeah. Gary Lineker, and Mo Farah. And you yeah. said then Ed Sheeran comes out and starts singing. So we all yeah. get our phones out to film him. And suddenly this little lady pops out in a green coat, and we yeah. realise, oh, it's the Queen. Yeah, literally. I mean, <laughs> we were like,
5: oh my God, she's there, she's it's there. Martin Lewis helped out, out of my phone for me because I couldn't reach. And then Darcy Russell's in half the, half Darcy Russell's turning around and going, oh, look, she's there. I mean, it was she <laughs> you wanted to go and hug her and she was I was waiting out bright green, literally there. Uh, I mean, it was just it was totally surreal. And and then and then afterwards. So we went after they said, please don't go away straight away. Because, you know, everyone was just dispersing. There was no way you could get any kind of transport there. You know, was, and But they wanted us all to go to some sort of marquee afterwards so that the, the crowds would disperse a bit and then we would all kind of go our separate ways. As I was walking towards the marquee, a couple of people coming towards me um, on their bicycles, I think, oh, that was clever. But it turned out it was Laura Trott and her husband, you know, the Olympic cyclists. And I thought, well, they would be on a bike, wouldn't they? I'm like, oh, that was clever. I was on a bike. Oh, they would be on a bike. Um, that's what they do. And then I went in there, and um, and then, of course everyone's in there. And then Naomi Campbell comes up to me.
4: Of course she does.
5: Yes, like you say that every, every day. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So, I mean, it's the sweetest person because she she so years and years ago, many years ago, she um, was at Italia Conti, where I was at. Um, she's younger than me, but um, I apparently, why well, do you remember it actually? Uh, went back there to give out the prizes one year, and I gave her her certificate of whatever it was and she came so we're at the queen's pattern thing and uh we go into this marquee and there's naomi campbell walks in goddess and she walks towards me and she goes "You gave me my prize when i was at italia content i went oh my goodness i can't believe you've just said that and then we had this gorgeous chat and we talk about kids kids dogs you know all that stuff and then she says to me how can i stay in touch with you and i went what <laughs> thank you <laughs> I went, oh well you know i mean um DM do, me. do you want social media something like that she went. no let me give you my number
0: she gave me her number, she gave
5: oh. me her number. and then she said call me back to check me you've got it i just some you know that as you know because having met so many people the, the people who have accomplished so much are generally the loveliest people
4: yeah what a bizarre day and I yes. wondered when else have you found yourself in such profoundly bizarre and unexpected <laughs> circumstances because that as as much as that one's got to be in I would not even say your top 10 it's got to be yeah, in top 5 surely has. Yeah yeah you of course know. it has uh, I mean, you—you you were talking about Soddenheim and Gypsy. Gypsy took you to the to to live in America for a year when you were nine years old. Is that that's right? I've got that. Yeah. I've got that right. Oh, that I? yes, when you were nine absolutely.
5: Yes. Yeah, so I, I did
4: the show. That's profoundly bizarre for a nine-year-old.
5: It is profoundly and and life-changing, actually, life-changing yeah. in so many ways because it was in the seventies. I would already been in a show in London called Gone with the Wind, and then I went into another. Sh- and, yeah. I know it's um,
4: O'Hara. That yeah, one. I played. Yeah, that
5: one, that one. Yeah, I played Bonnie Butler. And, um, yeah, and uh, so then the following year, uh, as it happens, I auditioned for this production of Gypsy that they were doing. Uh, Gypsy had never been to London before. Uh, It had only been on Broadway with Ethel Merman in 1956, and Angela Lansbury was to play um, uh, Mama Rose, and so they auditioned children, and I went along, and I got the job, and I worked with Arthur Lawrence and Stephen Sondheim, and that's when I met Stephen Sondheim. I was eight and uh, Julie Stein, all the original creatives, apart from Jerome Robbins, who had already passed by then. Um, But uh, so I did the show, and at those, in that that time, young kids were only allowed to perform for 40 performances a year. And it wasn't even, you know, end of December to beginning of January. It was however the, the 12 months was from the date that you wanted to perform. So if you wanted to perform January the 1st, you had to look back to the last January the 1st or. June the 1st or whatever, and, um, and and if you'd done more than 40 performances, you couldn't do it. Anyway, so I was in the show. I was the first baby June. They were going to have to get multiple. They decided to get multiple kids. Uh, nowadays, when kids are in shows, they tend to have about three teams. But on this, they wanted to have one team at a time, and you do your whole basically six weeks, and then you leave. And um, so I was the first baby June, and I got to perform um, – all the opening stuff with Angela she was just the most incredible person Uh, and and I got to be part of that and I just adored it Um, when I left on July the 14th I never forgot that date because I didn't want to leave, Um, I had to leave the show and uh, because I'd performed my 40 days and the producers took my parents into the company office and said how would you consider coming to uh, Bonnie coming to America with the show we're taking it there next year on a a US tour and then going to Broadway and my parents were very very naive and just said oh that's lovely how nice how lovely a month later yeah they just thought they were being nice what a lovely thing to say that was really nice I mean you know they were even tricking them and um, a month later the producers phoned my parents and say have you considered this and they said no because we didn't think you meant it Anyway, cut a long story short um, and lots of ins and outs. I did go to America for a year with my mother. She came with me. She'd never been past Bogner, bless her heart. And there we were going off to America and we um, rehearsed in New York and then we toured to 14 different cities, ending up on Broadway.
4: That's extraordinary, right? And, and also... The- The upheaval for you is one thing But also for your mum You're one of three children, right? You're the youngest She has to leave two other children behind For a huge amount of of time
5: Yes, but the only thing was They were um, 19 and 17 17, 18, 19 So they were quite glad Because they could then do what they wanted (laughs) And also you're
4: quite horrible at that age They were quite glad Well, my
5: sisters were both at the Royal Ballet (laughs) School at the time and one of them was about to go into London Festival Ballet and go off on tour with that ballet company. And they were quite glad not to have my mother going, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Yeah. She's quite she's quite controlling my mother. And so actually they were like, yes, go! You know, and they were so adorable and they so wanted me to have this opportunity because it was just completely left of centre. I mean, you know, and we didn't get... We still only had three channels on the TV, for goodness sake. I mean, you didn't have that Americanisation that we have here.
4: So it was such. It must a, have been otherworldly.
5: Such a culture shock. Such a culture shock. And I know my mother found it terribly hard. But I think you know, it's like it's like we do things, don't we? When we we for our kids, we we they they make us superpowers because we we don't want to um a, a sort of we don't want to put our emotions onto them, and also we want to show them that we are invincible, that we we can do everything. You know, they, your kids give you courage. Because you, you have somebody else to do it for and with. And so, mm. you know, we definitely did it as a team. My mother was very, very neurotic. And I would go, nope, we're fine. We can do this. This is okay. And and I was a terribly chi- uh, shy child. But when I went over to America, oh, yeah. When I went over to America, I mean, when we first went over there. So we, went, we were rehearsing and there were seven other kids in the show. And, um, you know, we, I remember we went to a cafe and they were all having these amazing things called Coke floats. Which was I mean, disgusting. Coke, uh, Coca-Cola with two scoops of ice cream in it. I mean, just gross. I thought they were the most amazing things. I had never seen anything. I don't think I'd ever been beyond, you know, a Phantom basically, you know, it was like, what the heck is this? So it was life changing for me in that respect. And then of course touring. I mean, one of the dates, one of the places we went to was Los Angeles and every Hollywood star came to see that show because they came to support Angela. So the amount – and, and you know, we would go to these parties afterwards, you know, in the foyer or something, drinks afterwards. Angela would have them all the time. And, um, you know, we we were allowed to go and talk to the stars. I mean, a lot of them I didn't know who they were. I've got uh, – somewhere I've got Olivia de Havilland's aut- autograph somewhere um, in my storage. I'm going to have to find – I mean, those sort of things I've got to find because, you know, these – she only died recently. She was about- London and something, and uh, you know, the, 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 Debbie Reynolds, Muhammad Ali. Um, I worked with Count Basie, uh, and most of the time, I didn't really know who any of these people were. But there is this incredible aura. There was this aura about people that you just were. And of course, they all loved Angela so much that the mm. support for her was incredible. Uh, I came back, and my school wouldn't let the press in, and wouldn't, let, <laughs> and they told my friends not to mention it because I would get big headed.
4: You've you've been away all that time And and people pretend Like almost ghosted your your absence It was like You'd never been away And it was never referenced
5: 100%
4: And of course we were there Because we wanted to train To be in the industry
5: Um, Mm And they didn't approve at all And I felt very I felt very uncomfortable Because I You know we were studying America And everyone You know the teacher would say Has anyone been to America Countless people put their hands up They were all asked about it I wasn't And I got so upset I actually left the school in the end Because I felt I felt I'd done something wrong. And I just... All I wanted to no. do was share. Yeah. Very.
4: Share what you... Did, what. Well, also, you were living the dream, right? You were the proof that, that there's a need for education around children in the arts because you were out there running cross doing it with the <laughs> best in the business. What about the other profoundly bizarre places you found yourself um, in or situations that you found yourself in? Um, well, one comes to my... So I it's that. Sick. Oh God! I mean, God, how long have you got? I don't know. I mean, ice skating. Okay, ice skating. Something I never with Torvaldine. Yeah. who thought you were so good? They hired you like on a pro level to tour with Stop. them. Stop. That's how good you were, Bonnie. Longford. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't in the show. So, uh,
5: a year a week, uh, maybe a year or so before the show went out, I got a call saying that we were thinking of, They were thinking of doing this TV show called Stars on Thin Ice. That's what it was called originally. And right. I said, oh, you know, do you want me to be a judge or something? And they were like, yes, that would be great, but we also want you to skate. And I went, well, I can't skate. No skates in my life because as a dancer, you didn't put skates on. You weren't allowed to, to skate. You weren't mm-hmm. allowed to horse ride. So I – anyway, so they uh, they said, oh, great, you know, and they said, would you be the reserve?" And so I didn't get any of the training. And this was the very, very, very first show. So this was the very, very first series. It was a real – it was a real test because – Any any ice shows that had happened before, there'd been one huge one. I don't know if you remember it. It was uh, that Nigel did that was like um, the gladiators but on ice. I can't think what it was called. It was Ice Warriors or something. And they
4: Ice Warriors, Danny Bear hosted, Nigel Lithco produced,
5: and they and it was a huge flop. It was just it just didn't work. And uh, so ice skating shows had never been that successful. Anyway, I thought, well, if I'm going to do it. i don't i don't have to stay anywhere i don't have to go to a jungle i don't have to be in a house i don't have to be with her. i can go home and uh and also i'm only in the reserve so i did a couple of lessons and then they said oh we'd like you to um try out with with um jane and chris anyway so i went along <laughs> actually it was this is the most bizarre story because at the time i was doing a radio show regularly with sandy Toxvig, one of my best friends and um I'd arranged as a surprise for her. She's a huge, huge Julie Andrews fan. Julie Andrews was coming over to do a talk at the BFI and I had arranged for us to go that evening. Uh, We were doing her show at lunchtime and then we were going to go to the BFI in the evening. And they suddenly phoned me from ITV and said, would you skate with with Jane and Chris in the afternoon? And I went, well, I can, but I've got to be away. I've got to be away by five o'clock. I've got to be away by five o'clock. So Sandy came with me. We went to this ice rink, and Sandy is sitting there writing and having hot drinks in the corner,
4: and I'm skating with Jane and Chris. And it you say Jane and Chris? It, let's just remind everyone that that's Torvill and Dean, yeah. the Olympic gold <laughs> medal-winning Torvill and yes. Dean. Yes,
5: yes, who are yes. just delightful and sweet, and were well, and huge fans of Sandys as well. So they're going sort of falling over Sandy. I'm trying to skate. And all I'm trying to do as well is look at the clock because I know I've got to get Sandy to BFI. I get away, we've managed to get to the BFI and we do meet Julie Andrews and I have never known Sandy Toxvic to be speechless in my whole life. And she literally went into a gibbering rap. It was so glorious, it was so glorious. Next day I get a phone oh. call to say, um, we think that one of the, somebody's broken their wrist uh, so uh, we might have you as a thing. And I went, well, I haven't got time to train. I'm doing pantomime. And then two days later, they phoned me and go, you're in the live show. You go live in two weeks. And I went, but I hadn't done any training. I mean, I hadn't done anything, really. I didn't know any of it. I was just, and ignorance was absolute bliss. I mean, it was. I wasn't completely blissful about it because I was terrified. But I think in a way, I didn't know what I was signing up to. And then on that very first show, they said to me, right, would you come and do your training? This is your routine. Um, so it was about five o'clock in the morning. I was in uh, Slough Ice Rink with Jane, with, with Torvaldine and my skating partner, Matt Evers. And he says, right, we're going to do the skating here and the skating over there. And then you're going to lift one of your legs up and skate backwards, which does my head in anyway. And um, Matt's going to take one of your legs, your ankles, and then as you spin around, you're going to take the other ankle off and he's going to then land you. And I went, okay. I didn't know you could say no to Torvaldine. And then I did it the first time, and it sort of worked. And it was like, "Oh, okay, let's do it again." We did something. Second time, cracked my head open on the ice, <laughs> and that's why it's called the head banger because of me.
4: Oh, you did! Mm-hmm. Oh my god, cracked my goodness. head open on the ice, and and you still skated on the on the live show despite cracking your head with your. Well, it was about a week or so later. It was about a week
5: or so later, and I did one of the. the so they used that as my first sort of. Um, VT and and one of the things that happened was Chris came skating over straight away to me and he said put your head back this is the biggest ice pack you'll ever get because of course it was the ice rink so I had to put my head on the ice um, and I didn't get off the ice I thought if I step off this ice I won't step back on um, so I just stayed and I waited and waited waited and then I did it again um, I didn't bang my head again I managed to do it and yes it then became the challenge that I had to do it for the first show on that first series I was terrified but it happened and we did it and then they made me do all sorts of crazy things and I was still trying to sort of I catch did. up with the actual skating because I didn't really know how to skate and even lifting.
4: But didn't you continue to work yeah. with them beyond your Yeah, I did. Show? I did about did. three tours. They, I mean, they really rated you, <clears throat> didn't they? <clears throat> they really rated you. Let, <clears throat> let me say that because you're not going to, obviously. But, and, and they've been on this show and I, you, you can hear the, um, I mean, just the level of Competition and professionalism mm. that sort of pumps through their veins yeah. is is extraordinary. So you really did capture their attention. Damn, victims of your own success.
2: I know. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.
4: Okay, question number two. Having talked through some of your greatest achievements, I wondered if we could talk about maybe some of the things that haven't worked out and why they're often just as important. Back in 2016, an assistant professor of psychology at Princeton University published a CV of his failures on Twitter that went viral because it was so inspirational. So if you had to provide a list or resume of your own failures to inspire others, what would you include and what did they teach you? and how will they inspire oh, us oh my goodness
5: well I think your failures go along see I hate the word fail I always go a bit woo.
4: so do yeah. I I like lesson
5: yeah if you learn from it it's a lesson yeah. uh, and there's you a always value. learn from that yeah. you always learn you might because you yeah. learn to, to either protect yourself your loved ones you learn to uh view something differently okay here's a failure that we just talked about, Torvaldine, I got so intense and so anxious about doing it, I wish I had enjoyed it more. I did enjoy it, I did, Uh, but I would get really intense about it all. And uh, in fact, as I said at the beginning, when I did that first show, I I was so ignorant, it was blissful. And it was such an opportunity for me to turn around and gave me permission to say, I don't know how to do this. I had never done that before. Because as a child, I had always been, Mm -hmm. don't excuse me for my age. I don't want anyone to be able to turn around and go, well, yeah, but, you know, she's only young. Um, So I was always uber professional, uber prepared, which isn't a bad thing, but sometimes it can make you so... um, busy being professional, so busy being good at your job that you don't allow yourself to make a mistake. It's okay to make a mistake. And that can be a failure. The fact that you you don't get everything out of it because you're so pressuring yourself to be the best you can be. And you can still be the best you can be, but it doesn't matter if you make a mistake, that can be the best thing for you. So with ice skating, for example, falling over can be the best thing because it makes you get up. Yeah. So that's sort of some of it. I would probably put most of my my career <laughs> as a success and a failure because in the middle of those things, you maybe don't enjoy the moment, you enjoy it when it's happened. And I'm still working on that greatly. Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah. Is that because you just become so... Intensely focused, that you're almost too uptight to be able to enjoy it because you're just willing uh, it to be really uh, good and yeah. then done.
5: Well, you know, there's something in completion, yeah. isn't it, that you can look on, look back on things fondly, and then you think, do I did I get the most out mm. of that though? Did I just pressure myself yeah. and not have the trust and the mm. faith that whatever happens will be all right? It will be okay. I'm okay. I'm I'm fallible. I'm I'm you know we can all
4: make mistakes. So I would say that sort of thing, those things. When did when do you think you allowed yourself to be fallible and to make mistakes? how old were you, and how, what was the, what was the, the one thing? Well, maybe I still that don't. Tipped you into. I still do you allowed that? But I
5: think I think the ice skating was was I say a, 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 a liberating in that I could turn around. You know, they said to me, "Okay, here you're on this side of this rink. You're going to skate out into the middle and stop." And I went, <laughs> "I can't do that." And it was okay to say, I can't do that. I don't how to do that. And I was really glad in that first series, actually, I was able to turn around and go, because they kept wanting to say, oh, you know, who are you competing against? And I'd say myself, but they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear, yeah, yeah, and the ice. I'm just actually competing against myself because I'm the one that says I can't do it. And so that was really liberating. And of course you do it because you've got, you know, I wanted to say to my daughter, have a go. It doesn't matter if you fail. Whatever you do, have a
4: go. Mm. Um, and I need, I needed to prove that. Quite freeing to say I don't mm. know what to do here because you've been, you've been professional mm. as long as you can remember. I mean, can you remember a time in your life when you weren't not a professional really. person? No, not really. But then no. I get to do what I love to do, and then when it,
5: when it works, it's sure. great. And even, you know, you get to a point, I think, as well, where you have to be in a situation where you know, you have to sort of say to yourself, whatever goes wrong, I will get myself out of this. I've now experienced enough where I can pretty much get myself out yeah. of this, uh, even if, you know, and ultimately people, you know, the first thing they ask you when you do an interview is, oh, can you tell us some funny stories when things have gone wrong? And you think, well, actually, I don't <laughs> The whole idea, the whole, the whole point of the job, <laughs> Is to not make it look like things have gone wrong, but people, do, but people do love it. I mean, yeah. there's a whole show about it, the play that goes wrong, all those things are hugely successful. Um, you know, um, but it, yeah, I think it's that when you when you do something and the ground swallows you up. I mean, I've done things like that. Um, I remember I had to go to a, I did a press it was a charity thing for somebody, and they were dear dear friends of mine, and they'd created this doll. And um, they made me dress up as the doll. Oh, my God. I think most of the time, I think people didn't actually recognise it was me. Thank God. I hope they didn't recognise it was me. It was one of those, you know, when you just walk in there and you go, OK, here is when I need the ground to swallow me up. This is now when I should not be in this situation. Ground, swallow me up. Go, now. I was dressed as a doll. instead were well, you dressed as? This, sort of like oh, this sort of doll that was being given to a royal baby or something and it was part of a whole kind of charity campaign and they said I thought I was just going to deliver this doll to this royal person and um they said oh wouldn't it be better you know we're going to dress you up as the doll and I why I didn't say no why did I not say no it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life and I just sort of before I knew it I was dressed up as this doll um so yeah
4: that was that was probably a fail a big sale a failure to say no do you know what though you, you're you so right we do that don't we I mean like I remember really having to pluck the courage up to to start saying no to things because I was so keen oh. to get on and people please that you end up You mean like Google is a horrible thing yeah. because it holds it all there and stuff that I thought I'd erased from my mind forever my son yes, discovers do- now <laughs> he's like I googled you and look at this my daughter like, does don't my look daughter, at
5: that. Like, I, mean, look. I mean I did a telly show the other day and they showed a they showed an interview of me. Uh, I was being interviewed for a film that I'd done about the Wombles. And uh, and I was saying it was so lovely because the Wombles are really lovely and they need to be in a story. And um, and I was thinking, oh, my God, that's just too awful. So, you know, my home movies are on, on the telly or on the YouTube or whatever. You know, you, and there's times when yeah. you think, I can't get away with anything. I'm really, really glad Aways. that I didn't have social media as a young person, because I think that's terribly hard. Because it's there forever, isn't it? You're, not, you're never going to be able to grab that back.
4: But that's very much the case with you. I mean, I could find clips from you from pretty much every year of your life from the age oh, of probably. Not, eight onwards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. No. Yeah, easily. I, I mean, there were clips of you talking about um. Lena Zaveroni, who was a co-star and a great, great friend of yours. And you were trying to explain oh. her anorexia... Through the mouth and eyes of a child that but, knew nothing about it, really beyond what you'd seen, and it sounds so um, well uh, incorrect now when you listen back and you you watch it through the eyes of you know and generations of people that okay. have, have grown up understanding that it's a, you know people would say to her things like Lena just can't eat say that. and you're like you yeah know, people just want yeah. to eat and like, of course we no. understand now it's not at
5: all, all that and she you yeah. know. and also the thing that i i i get upset about with all that is that it's uh, she's famous for her illness and for her condition rather than for her huge talent you know she had the most extraordinary gift the -hmm. most extraordinary talent and the reason we became friends was because we were at school together and we understood what was expected of us and actually enjoyed that expectation Mm -hmm. We enjoyed the fact that we could be mini-adults and yeah. that we would go in, and we didn't have to do any of that networking and, oh, hello, darling, how are you? Because nobody expected that of young kids to be able to do that. So we would sit, we would watch these the, the, the stuff go on that you see, and you take it all in because you're such a sponge, and then they'd just say, right, would you get up and do your bit now? You get up there, you do the bit, you go home. It's done. It's sorted. We, 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 we did a television special together, as you say. Uh, we filmed that whole thing... Rehearse, record the whole oh, thing so in 10 days. An hour-long
4: show. Rehearse, record the whole thing. And we're talking about the kind of shows, the double-handers that you'd see, maybe yep. Cher and yep. Tina Turner do, like with the Cher show, or yep. And you were you were younger. No, women, we were twelve. Were adults, we were twelve years it was old. Clearly, yeah. Very poorly. Very poorly. And very pressured. And a lot of it, you know, I understand it because I was a teenage anorexic. Is about control. Um, but nobody used that sort of language in association with that diagnosis at the time. And I think, really, I I, I was very aware of her because I went on to have my own issues with food. Um, but the only people that I knew did were her and Karen Carpenter. And that you're talking about two epic talents who are remembered for the illness under which they're, they demised, as opposed to their extraordinary talent that just
5: 100%, burst 100%. out hundred percent. I mean, I remember going to Alina's funeral, and it was a it was a circus. It was a circus, and it seemed so yeah sad and and surreal. It just didn't seem real, you know. i mean in the middle of the Blooming service. They're doing communion, and someone comes up and says, "Oh, would you sign this for me?" I went, "No, no, I won't. This is somebody's funeral. This is my friend." And they brought they brought her in. She was in a, a child's coffin, and then as she as they brought it in, this black butterfly flew off from the top of the coffin. And I said, "There she goes." It's just, cool. and um, and I stayed. I was the last one in the church because everyone had got up. The service was over. Everyone just got up and left woo, 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 out, and they played her singing, and that's why I was there to hear her sing. And and uh, it just seemed, I couldn't understand why it was like that. And there was a lot of blame and shame going on, and and misunderstanding about how the business works and worked. And Lena would say to me, I mean, she phoned me. Um, not that long before she died, actually, because she wanted this operation. She died because she had an operation and she wasn't strong enough to recover from it.
0: And the
4: operation that she elected to have was basically a lobotomy. Uh-huh. So it was to change the way her brain. I mean, a bit like it just would never, ever happen today. And we are all so much better educated.
5: Well, at least we've learned a lot from it. At least we've learned a lot from it.
4: Ah, uh, yeah. You know what? After this, I'm going to go and play Alina Zverony's song. And oh, I'm going to dance to it and remember the oh. good. That came from all the and she play, did, her um, of, play her version of play her version
5: of "Going Nowhere," the Neil Sedaka song. So oh. she sang that on a television show. I think it's on YouTube. It is the most. I mean, you'll be crying by the end of it. But that the interpretation, the vocal quality, the talent at such a you know, as such a tiny little person, came but, out with this huge voice. And it's just mind blowing. Yeah.
4: Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks. Okay, your final question. Now, I can never, ever imagine you losing your temper. Uh, But in 2019, we saw a little flicker of defiance when... What did uh, I do? shouted at in a Pret-a-Manger. And I don't know if you remember this, when um, yeah. you tweeted. Yes. You tweeted, I've just been shouted at in hashtag Pret-a-Manger Bromley for taking my dog in while uh, I get a coffee to take away between shows, which is the thing I've done for the past five weeks, twice a day, every day. People say be kind, but they're not. Just rude. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I was so done. I was
5: so done because I cannot bear people being rude. I just can't bear it. Oh yeah, I am angry. I get angry. Road rage. I'm bad. You know, I will shout at people. I'd and go, love to get see get you calling my
4: you know obscene hand oh, gestures in the car. But that, actually, yes. that really juxtaposed itself with what I'd read about you because before that, I read repeatedly that you were a self-confessed, um, people-pleasing, non-confrontational person. So I wondered, mm-hmm. when did you mm-hmm. learn to start speaking up yeah. for yourself, and why, and, and when else have you had to kind of stand your ground? Well,
5: I, I am absolute people-pleaser, uh, trying not to be so much. But if somebody... Uh, it takes a lot. It takes an awful lot. And my, w- my real bad rage is when I go very quiet. <laughs> That's the worst one. I become terribly... Your silence is deafening. I, well, I, I speak very quietly and I come up with an awful lot of facts. And I will not be... I, it's just if somebody is unfair or rude or basically wrong, I will... And I'm not listening to reason. I... That's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. That's it. I'm done. So what happened in that situation was that... I mean, I was tired as well. I was tired. I was so tired. I was so done anyway. So I was doing this pantomime in Bromley, and it had been really difficult because of um, the Omicron uh, part of COVID. Very basically... Yeah. Yeah, that variant. We basically... We had, I was the only person who did every show. We had people going down with with, uh, the virus all the time and it was so difficult to keep open. And it was literally like a revolving door of people just, amazing people just coming in, learning a show in a day and going on and doing it or going on with a script or we literally had, at one point there were 11 out of 15 of us just suddenly went in a day, everybody had got it. Um, and so it was impossible. It was impossible. But the thing that was keeping me going was not only my little dog, but also I would go in before the first show and the second show, nip into Pret, get a coffee, or Starbucks. They're very, they're very dog friendly. Uh, Prep or Starbucks, and go and get my and go and get a coffee and come out. And I went in this one day as I was always. I was standing in the queue, just waiting to get my coffee, and this guy, but who I hadn't seen in there before, one of the staff. Shouted at me from the other side of the c- counter and said, "You can't bring that thing in here." Well, that's two th- okay, two red rags to a bull. First of all, you don't shout at me. You don't shame me in public. You don't shame anybody in public. And that thing is my dog. So it's like a child. <laughs> oh, very she dare is, you? <laughs> she is like a child. You do not talk to my dog. If he talked to me like it, I'd probably been fine. <laughs> red mist comes down. I go and I laughed. Lo- actually, I laughed. Because I thought Did he was you? being funny. Well I've been in there every day. I hadn't seen this person. <laughs> but I've been in there every day. I went, I oh, thought about was and And bearing in mind as well, I've got my hair in pink curls, big hat on, full stage makeup. and um, so it must have been between shows, it was between shows. And I just thought, You're having a laugh aren't you. I'm I'm here every day. And um and also, funnily enough, at the beginning of the um run I had looked on the checked on the door that they allowed there was no sign saying no dogs nothing guide dogs only nothing like that and i uh, as i say they had no one had ever come up to me and said you can't bring this dog in here and pretz apparently they're they're it's it's to do with the managers or whatever they they will they will allow dog they are dog friendly depending on whoever decides it it's very it's a little bit of a gray area but they are not anti dogs going in there and i'm completely i don't think that anybody should put up with anybody else's That anyone should be imposed with whatever anybody else wants. It's not, oh, it's my right. No. Okay, if they don't have dogs in there, absolutely fine. That's fine by me. But the fact I'd been in there every day... um, And then he shouted at me and then he went, it's out on the door. I went, it isn't. I went, show me. So I got this man to... So he came to the door. I said, where's the thing? Oh, they must have taken the sign down. I said, there's no sign because there isn't a sign because it's not your policy. Oh, you can speak to the manager if you... And this was so public and I am not... A public i don't like to be like that i don't like to be blamed and shamed. i also don't like people to go don't you know who i think i am i'm not interested in that uh he was just downright rude he's downright rude and he was wrong and it just got my goat And i just came back and like and the fact is is that everyone's all oh be kind be nice be lovely okay just be real we have anger <laughs> we we are allowed to be anger anger can be a positive thing um, but that just, whoa, no thank you very much. And he was wrong and the manager came and but nobody ever really apologised to me. There was some blo- except for the fact that while I was standing there, I said, I'm just getting my coffee and I'm going. And while I'd been having this confrontation with this guy, which I hated, one of the staff had made me my coffee and put it on the top. I didn't even have to ask for what I normally have because they, they knew, knew I'd go <laughs> in there every day. So why did they give me a cappuccino? If they didn't know that's what I had every day. It was just... I was so angry. I was just so... I can't bear it when people... And I'll do that to other people as well. On If I see... You know, I try and be very quiet. But I will always see reason. I will always try and be polite. But if, it, if, you, if you just tip me that one bit too far... No, I will not have unfairness. I will not have unfairness. If people are wrong, they need to accept it. Or at least discuss it. It was just the way it was handled as well. It was just so... I was steaming, steaming, and I just <laughs> I couldn't stand it. I'd love to have I
4: mean, I mean, would, I would love to see you lose your shit, I really would. Oh, yeah. And I just wondered, has there been a time where you've had to actually kind of throw your shoulders back, chin up, and say something that you felt was, oh, I'd rather not, but I've just got to? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well,
5: there's that. It also, you know, Mumzilla, we'll all turn into Mumzilla if we think our child is being treated badly. Um, yes, that will happen. I will always go for a reason and I will always try and check that I'm right before I start going, you're wrong, I'm right. Um, I will always try and say, you know, let's deal with this. But yeah, of course I have. You can't survive otherwise. You can't be a complete sap. The world's too tough. And there's times when you have to turn around and go, enough, you're wrong. Oh, we went, we went once to um, Disneyland Paris. This is quite a funny long story. So we went um we went to Disneyland Paris and I'd wanted it was the first time that, that BB, my daughter, was gonna go to Disney and I wanted that moment. You know that just that face where you just
4: Yeah you'll never
5: get it again where they go and they just see it and the magic's in their eyes still and, and I I think I was gonna be working on something. I said, well, Let's just nip there quickly. And so I did the whole kind of I did a, you know, big expensive sort of ridiculously rash thing, get the U.S. you know, it was all gorgeous and blah blah blah. And we got to this hotel and it was it was horrible it was gross it was it was terrible and um and the whole the whole weekend was awful and then she was sick and oh it was just it was just everything that could have gone wrong the fireworks didn't go off um you know even (laughs) down to that it was just everything was just all wrong it just everything went wrong it was a disaster it was a disaster holiday and so i wrote and i wrote a letter and said this was awful and I, 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 I'm just so disappointed and upset. And they sent me by return a teddy. I think it was a pooh bear teddy, and a set of coloring pens, and an email for when I go again. Well, that was it. <laughs> I was gone. I wrote like a three page letter back. Then they told me that there were fireworks. With I went, your crayons? I'm not. You're six, yeah, obviously those, I sent them back. I sent them back. I returned it. <laughs> I sent them back. And then I found out that the CEO of Disney Europe was someone I'd been in gypsy with in America when I was eight.
0: Like, <laughs>
5: <laughs> I mean it was madness. It was madness. The small world. Pardon the pun. You know, you might have to see somebody again. You might have to work with them again. You might have to cross them in the street again. I will always give somebody yeah. the opportunity to go, that was a moment. How do we move on from this? How do we recover from this? But if somebody has really done something that has got my goat and then the the the, the spark has lit. Yeah, don't don't come near me.
4: Uh, but thank you so much for your time today. I mean, we could oh. probably do 12 episodes and still not run out of things I to talk. I think so, cuz it's so
5: great to talk. And you know, when you when you say things when you, with with like minded people and we know we've been there and we've got kids and we've got everyone has a similarity. We all have connections. Totally. And I just
4: There's love an episode that episode of Motherland in all of us parents. Isn't, trust me, isn't it just? <laughs> isn't that just brilliant? And good luck with rehearsals. Thank um, you. Old friends opens on the 16th at the Guildford in uh, theatre in the West End of London. It's scheduled for a 16-week run. Uh, but who knows? Could run for much longer. Such is that songbook, eh? Um, and tickets are available wherever you get your tickets. Yeah. Thanks, Kate. It's been brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. You. A pleasure as always. I can't wait to run into you in a sweaty dressing room somewhere with Angela Rippon, <laughs> Esther Ranson, and Celia Imrie again. Yes. With Wayne Sleep, who wouldn't stop talking? It's like, all right, Wayne, let somebody else speak. I, no, no, no. Wayne, stop talking. I'm trying to listen to Celia.
5: Yes. No, I love him, but once he gets off on one, you can't stop me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Huge thanks to Bonnie. Don't forget, tickets are available now to go and see her and a glittering cast perform some of Stephen Soddenheim's biggest songs from his incredible songbook at the Gilgud Theatre from September 16th. And if Bonnie's left you hungry for more chat with National Treasures, we've got episodes with Dame Denise Lewis, Dame Arlene Phillips, and Christopher Biggins in our back catalogue, as well as Matt Evers, who skated with her alongside Torval and Dean, who are also in our back catalogue, as well as Lisa Snowden. So fill your boots. Oh, and look out for our new midweek mini episode drop it's called something from the cellar it drops every tuesday and it's a little something to get you over hump day with some vintage conversations from our previous guests served up in shot sized portions to make sure you don't miss them and to get them delivered direct to your feed hit the follow or subscribe button and i'll be back friday with a brand new guest until then thanks so much for your company
2: White Wine Question Time is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator
1: Network.